Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show. I'm here with Michelle. Michelle, welcome. Thanks. We are so excited to be here with you today. It's a pre-recorded show, of course, but today is the actual launch of your new book, No Sweat, How Simple Science and Motivation Can Bring Your Lifetime for Fitness. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so exciting. When we dub this over, George in the background, our producer, will put some clapping in. We'll have clapping right now. (laughs) Loud clapping. Great. It's it's an exhaustive effort for you. Um, What to you, what does the launch actually mean from your perspective? It is now available in every major bookstore worldwide, or what is define launch for us? Yeah, my understanding, because this is my first book, is that it's going to be available by now in local bookstores, and of course you can get it online too. Who is your publisher? Amicom. Wow, terrific. And, And tell us a little bit about your interest in, in taking on this very crowded space of, of, of fitness and exercises and, 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 you know, obviously you have a passion for that, but tell us a little bit about the science behind your passion. Sure. Well, first, I just want to say the topic picked me. I didn't pick the topic. <laughs> um, so, and basically the science is that We've been promoting what I call self-care behaviors instead of health behaviors, um, like exercise, out of a medical paradigm. We're not cells. We're human beings who make decisions unconsciously and out of emotion. So that doesn't really work to get us to stick with it long term. And so the science behind it is based on decision-making science and neuroscience and motivation science. Self-care behavior in general tends to go off stray quite quickly. Um, did you have deep roots in understanding behavior uh, of, 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 of us humans as you approach this book? And, and what did your understanding of behavior lead you to conclude when it comes to fitness? Sure. So I'm a motivation and behavioral sustainability scientist. So I've been researching these ideas for about 20 years. But I have to say that um, synergistic to my academic perspective is that I've been a health coach for 20 years, too, working on these issues with real people in real life. And, and that's been really important to understanding which ideas in science are actually relevant to helping people. And I would say that the, one of the most important things that you know, I've concluded from this is that even though people really truly do want to change their behavior, they want to, you know, be healthier. There are so many competing priorities and, and intentions in their day that if we don't explicitly learn how to make our own self-care and sense of well-being and daily energy a priority, it's sim- we'll, not, we'll simply never get there. So a, lot, so a, a big part of the book is helping people identify if that's one of the things um, that is getting in their way and how to overcome that, how to make that happen. Could you explain to us the tension between uh, us disliking the repetition of, exer- uh, repetition of exercise but enjoying the benefits that exercise brings us? Could you explain that tension we have inside of us and why it's just, a problem. Sure, absolutely. And, and calling it attention is a, is a great idea because here's the situation. And in fact, I got asked this today in a, in, a, in a keynote I was giving. 
we exercise in a way that we think we should do, but we actually don't like doing it, there's the dislike right there. And we'll dread thinking about it, even though we want the positive benefits from physical activity. But if instead of a should and moving in ways that actually don't feel good, we say, you know what? Physical activity, and this is true, is an elixir of life. I mean, if, if all the benefits of physical activity you know, could be taken in a pill, people would be popping those pills all the time. Um, and I don't want to medicalize exercise because I think that's one of the biggest problems is that we've been taught to think about it as medicine. And for, for health clinicians, that's a great way to get them to refer people to exercise. But for people, that's not what motivates us. We want things that help us feel better and function better. So the way you, the way that I think about overturning that tension is we switch the purpose for exercise away from weight and health, future abstract outcomes, and things that might even make us feel badly about ourselves. Immediate benefits we're going to get, the energy, the lifted mood, the, the, the greater focus at work, and these immediate benefits, including spending time with people we enjoy, reinforces doing it, and then we don't dread it anymore. It isn't something that we dislike. It's something we actually want to do. And furthermore, when we notice how much better we function in the things we care most about, like being a parent and a professional and a partner, then the behavior exercise takes on a deeper meaning. It's not just something that helps us feel better, which is important. It actually fuels what matters most. I love sports, all sports. I, I play hockey. I'm a golfer. I ski. I, you know, lots of fun things. But I hate exercising, which I know is necessary to be competitive in the sports that I'm playing. Why can't we develop a better exercise routine that I would love as much as sports? Why can't that happen? Can't we? Isn't technology going to help us there? Well, I guess, I, why are you looking at exercises different than sports? Why, what about playing sports and doing sports as the way to prepare and train for this, you know, for your sports? So I think I would need to know a little more about what you're doing to yeah. give you a better answer. And we might need two or three hours on that deep <laughs> psych psychological analysis. But let's take yoga, for example. I, I practice yoga two or three days a week, uh, hot yoga, 6 a.m. in the morning. I dread going into it, but I love coming out of it which probably is what propels me to go back when I do. Is that the feeling that you're referring to, this, 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 uh, this inner sense of, of, that you reap from, from an, an exercise experience? And, and so for everyone, it's going to be different. And you're, you know, you're getting some kind of immediate satisfaction. And it may be after the yoga. So I'm not... I'm not going to make a judgment whether the, the feel-good has to come during or immediately after, but I'm suggesting that human beings are more motivated by immediate positive rewards than they are rewards they have to wait for. So you're getting something immediate from your yoga class, but you dread it, and you might dread it, you know, because it's early in the morning and uh, it's hard, but clearly it's giving you an immediate reward that you're coming back for. Have you, uh, what, what is the connection that you see between the attitude leading to exercise uh, and if, it's, if you don't have the right attitude, the likelihood of uh, dropping the exercise is like 90% or something crazy? I mean, is, is it the attitude that is everything in your mind or what, is, what are the key drivers to sustaining uh, a routine that involves exercise? 
So when you say attitude, what immediately jumps to my mind is the reasons why we initiate exercise. And that is the foundation of everything. And so whether we frame exercise as something we should do or as a chore absolutely influences the experience we have while we're exercising versus whether we consider it a gift or something that is that we want that feels good. So there's been research on exercise. On, a study came out a couple of years ago on walking. There's been research on work, on, on work in professional situations where they ask people, they randomize people to different groups. In one group, the same behavior, one group is told this is fun and, and, you know, you have choice in the matter and another group is told this is work and, you know, and what happens is that across the board in these studies that when people do the, do the whatever the action is that was, they were told it was work, they actually feel depleted from doing it compared to the people who do the same behavior, but they're told it's actually fun and, 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 and it's autonomous and they're actually energized. So the frames we come at exercise with absolutely influence how we experience it and then whether we're going to want to keep doing it or not. I want to ask you one question before the break, and that is about statistics and companies like Fitbit that are trying to bring some, probably some accountability and some metrics and data to the, to the concept of exercise. But are you finding that that is, in fact, very motivating for people? If they can track, you know, how many miles they've walked a week and, 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 and view this as, as a goal-oriented concept, that that's fitting with, the, with our psyche and the way that we work as humans. Is, is technology helping a little bit to motivate us and, and get us excited about uh, goals? Well, I, so I think technology is great, and I think it's helping some people, but it's still only a tool. And what determines whether people stick with exercise is their relationship with exercise. And so if we approach using tools without addressing whether exercise feels like a should or a want, those, those, those types of a little deeper issues, they're easy to change, but they're still not, you know, it, it's still below the surface. Um, people still won't stick with it. So we need to both uh, leverage tools, but also help the tools connect with people in ways to help them identify, hey, does this feel like work or fun? Because the tools can do that. They have the capacity. Right. Now, now, just one comment on that before the break. So, you know, Fitbit is telling us that, you know, 43% of their users uh, uh, are, are, are completing more steps as if you're doing a Stairmaster or something uh, after they start using Fitbit. You know, are, are you seeing that similar data that when you're using technology, you're, you're, you're working out more, you're, you're accountable, you're, you're, you're working where you're way through the pain, if you will? I think... For a proportion of the population, a tool like a Fitbit is going to be very motivating. But what happens pretty much across the board is, is everyone's excited when they get a, a new tool. They believe it's going to be the solution for them. And some people that will turn out to be true. And I would expect for most people that doesn't turn out to be true um, because tools aren't, you know, unless you're the type of person who likes to really, really enjoys looking at your data every day. So I think there are individual differences. And I mean, it's really a hard, it's a hard question, but I keep going back to the idea that people don't stick with a, a really complex behavior like exercise and physical activity unless it has a really compelling and relevant role in their daily lives. 
when we come back from the break, everybody, we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit about a simple four-point program that will empower you to really get, 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 on, get back on your exercise A game. Back in just a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Michelle, so excited for that you're here with us today. Thanks thanks very much. Thank you. All Did right. my answer surprise you? Oh my gosh, you are just on a roll with us today. No pun intended. We're, we're <laughs> let's, let's dive into your simple four-point program and just give us some hints as to what you've drummed up for, for us all. First of all, why four? Why four things we need to, to think about? Well, uh, I, I didn't mean it to be four. I, when, I stud- when I was studying what was getting in people's way of sticking with a physically active life, um, and I spent a couple years just doing nothing but doing that study, and then when I came upon all these things, they organized themselves for me into the four parts, which is meaning, awareness, permission, or map. I'm sorry, meaning, awareness, permission, and strategy or maps. Got it. Let's go to meaning for a second. I've been looking for meaning for a long time, not just in exercise, but tell me about finding meaning, uh, meaning in our lives, meaning in our purpose, our mission. 
define meaning? Sure. Well, the way that I approach uh, the concept of meaning in my formula is it's the meaning of behavior. It's what does it symbolize to you? Does exercise symbolize that your body's unattractive and not good enough and so you've got to punish it? Um, or does it symbolize a way for you to empower yourself and energize your life and your day and help you live better? So everything we do in life has some kind of meaning below the surface. And so it's really important to raise the meaning into our, you know, into our awareness so we, are, we understand what it is and whether it's driving us to do things we actually want to do or don't want to do. How do we find that meaning? Are there a series of questions we ask ourselves or some, some awakening we have? We, so I designed a series of questions that I show in, in the book No Sweat that takes people through the, the specific formula. The first question I ask people is, in general, why do you start exercising? And in, inevitably, most people, not everyone, but most people will say they start exercising because they're trying to lose weight. And then the next, the second question, the set of series is, well, does your, motiv- do you, does your motivation last for exercising? And people wouldn't be talking to me <laughs> or reading the book if their motivation was, you know, lasted with exercise. So there is a series of questions that help people identify the, the role or, 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 or reason that, that, or the role that exercise has had in their lives and whether or not that reason is truly compelling enough to prioritize it on a daily basis. One of the problems with exercise in general is that people think if they exercise, they can still continue a ridiculously high weight. They even, you know, eat more sometimes when they exercise, um, which then results in failure. You, you don't achieve your goal of losing weight because you're eating more or eating the same and, and you're not burning as much calories. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how, how failure figures into all of this? Failure to achieve whatever goal you have that's part of your meaning? Sure. So what I've found is that when people disconnect exercising from losing weight, when they realize that in general, uh, in general, we know that what people eat is, is, is more powerful, if you will, on weight than how much people actually, it's so, it's so difficult to exercise to the extent that you need to lose weight and what you put in your mouth is so much more powerful. So if people want to lose weight, it's probably better for them to focus on what they put in their mouths. But for exercising, it's what we want to do is help people disconnect it from a weight loss purpose and turn it into an elixir of life, life purpose because it is that it's excellent at. In ter- getting back to your failure question, what happens is that when we initiate exercise with you know, unrealistic goals, whether for it's how much exercise we want to do or, or whatever that's tied to, and then we don't achieve it, we stop and we feel like failures. But when we start again, it's usually in the same, it's, it's for the same purpose, it's, for the, it's out of the same motivation, and we just stay stuck, stuck in what I call the vicious cycle of failure. Um, I actually just made a really short video about this um, online. Hmm, cool. We want to hear more about how to, how to find you online at the end of the show. Tell us about awareness. Awareness, so this is basically embedded into the whole model because we can't make any change that's sustained unless we're truly aware of our reasons or whys. 
especially our beliefs about the behavior. So for, when we go to change our behavior, what we really want to do is take a step back and understand that we cannot change our behavior if we don't change our beliefs about the behavior. So we need awareness to, to understand what are our beliefs around either our bodies, our abilities, exercise itself. Do I think I have to do it for 30 minutes to count? Well, that belief gets in a lot of people's ways of sustaining a physically active life because they don't have that 30-minute pocket. So we want to identify the specific beliefs that are undermining both our ability to fit it into our lives as well as our desire and motivation to keep it up. Permission. That's an interesting concept. Permission from whom? That's a great question. Permission from ourselves. So... What I found, there's a motivation component to a behavior change. You either want to do it or you don't. If you don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. But even if you want to do it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And then it has to do with what we prioritize every day. And I found the lack of permission for self-care, to prioritize self-care, is the core derailer of sustainability. So, And it's also the hardest thing to change, not surprisingly. This reflects... Um, us saying to ourselves, how I feel on a daily basis, how I take care of myself, isn't something that's really optional. It's actually something I need in order to most effectively perform in my roles and responsibilities that are most dear to me. So it's asking people to really look hard at their beliefs about whether they feel comfortable making their own self-care and sense of well-being a priority in their daily life. When you put these theories to practice, I'm curious, did you have some sort of sampling that says, hey, I'm going to monitor and watch people that are, that are working out and, and quiz them and, and you know, learn what they're thinking and how they're approaching this and how long they stay with it. And then I'm going to go train people on my, my four uh, theories and, and four-point program and, and watch and monitor them and look at their sustainers. Did, did you do this kind of beta testing to see, you know, w- w- within your by the way, fabulous organization at the University of Michigan. I know you're the chair of the U.S. National Physical Activity Plan for and Communications Committee. Um, you know, what, what, how did you experiment with all of this and really conclude that this is an incredible uh, program? That's a wonderful question. So basically, after I got that whole outline and then maps kind of organized itself for me, I started delivering it in the community and iterating and iterating and iterating the program based on the feedback and based on on delivering it. And then I was fortunate enough to get a grant from the National Institutes of Health to do, uh, to study the effects of the program. And so we actually have a published paper showing that people sustained uh, an increase in a uh, 39% increase in physical activity compared to baseline. And I wasn't the only one teaching it. So I had trained other people to deliver it. So, you know, this, the program has been studied and I've been using it with people for about 20 years, you know, the, the clients, you know, there's always room for more research. That's part of, you know, being in academia. Um, but the, the, the program has been studied and, and uh, it, it, what's been most compelling to me, even more than the, re- than the published research I have to say is, and this is what actually drove me to write No Sweat, is I was sitting on the phone with my clients asking the same questions because I have a system where I do things in the same way every time, and people would say the same thing in the same spots. 
it was so systematic and predictable. And I thought, you know what? I can only do so much as an individual. I've got to get this method out in the world so other, you know, healthcare, wellness, and fitness professionals can start using it. Uh, here's a difficult question for you, but don't you think it's sort of an, an interesting philosophical uh, d- distinction between a program that you subscribe to and attend, if you will, versus an inner decision to become healthier? Um, do you find that an interesting uh paradigm, if you will, uh, with developing your four-point program. You know, it's like, oh, a program, you know, uh, uh, I do this and I show up and I follow these rules versus I want to better myself. You know, I'm not going to time how much I run. I'm going to run until I'm tired, you know, or something. I just made that up. But can you, can you talk about that a little bit? I, th- I think so. I, so I think what you're asking about is the difference between having someone follow a program and they're just kind of deciding on their own what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there, there is a difference. And, and truthfully, that's one of the reasons why most people do really well when they're in a program. But once the support of, of that structure goes away, they stop exercising. And that's been shown within six months. Most, most people discontinue an exercise program that they start. So what's really important, and this is what this program is based on, actually, is to help people internalize the attitudes and strategies that are going to allow them to sustain behavior. And so there's like this core curriculum in No Sweat that's based around MAPS, but then there's this period, well, when I work with clients, there's a period where I spread out sessions so that they can actually work and negotiate and learn how to how to do this within their life. This is one big learning process and most people approach exercise as a in a programmatic way. I'm gonna sign up for the gym or I'm gonna get that Fitbit or I'm gonna do that. But again, if we don't figure out why it's relevant and compelling to prioritize when we are living such hectic lives, we will not sustain it. So my program is based on helping people learn to love exercising but also learn the key role that it can play in fueling who they are and what they care about. Does your program define particular exercises or diet? Um, could you explain that a little bit? No. So, no, because the key, part of the key is that each individual has to figure out what's going to work for them. So this is, I, what I do is I say, this is a big experiment. You're, you're, you're learning. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And if you pick a type of activity and you hate it or it doesn't work for you, that's not failure. That's data for you to take in and understand what, you know, what is going to work and what isn't. And, and like anything we learn, it takes trial and error. And that's part of the beauty of, of, of learning anything new. It, you don't have to judge it as a failure or as bad or wrong. But I do have to say, I think I do call out. I call out walking in the book. Because I have, I've come to believe over the years, and I actually research supports this, that walking is among the most popular behaviors, and it's the easiest thing people to stick with over time. People who walk are three times more likely to meet the physical activity recommendations. So I believe walking, which is something we can just step out our door or even stay inside our house and do, might be, you know, among the best ways to be physically active. But again, you love your hardcore sports. You love your yoga. That's what you should do. So the, the trick is that each person has to give themselves permission to explore and have trial and error on their quest to figure out how to make physical activity an elixir of their life. 
Very cool. Just a few more questions for you. We we went through meaning, awareness, and permission. I believe the fourth point is uh, is maps. Is that correct? Could you explain that? Strategy. 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 Strat- okay. Strategy. Okay. So, so so meaning and awareness and permission are all about changing how we think about things. Strategy is about how we do things. It's the logistics. It's actually the most straightforward of everything. And strategy is about the fact that, like I just said, it's a learning process. And no one has taught us how to sustain a physically active life. So we, so the, the idea and strategy is that in order to sustain it, even if we want to, and even if we know it's important to our feeling and function every day, we still have to prevent and overcome the, the never-ending onslaught of barriers or challenges that come to our exercise plans. And so it's a sustainability tra- strategy is about a sustainability training and teaching people literal negotiation skills for their physical activity so they can stick with it for the rest of their lives. Very cool. Tell us how, how two questions, who do you want to get a hold of you and how should they get a hold of you? Well, I wrote the book for people who have lost their motivation, they feel like failures, they don't like exercise, but they would love to reap the incredible benefits it has. But I also wrote the book for all professionals, healthcare, wellness, fitness professionals who work with people. And, the, you know, uh, even though today is the official publication date, it's been out for a, a couple weeks and the reviews are coming in on Amazon and a lot of professionals are writing that th- th- these ideas, are they see them all the time in their clients, and they're starting to use the ideas with their patients and clients and seeing different results. So it's for professionals, too. Terrific. And how can people find your book and, and get a hold of you? They can find I, – I, I have a website that is my name, michellesieger.com, and I have a book page that has information. I also have a free teaching guide that I developed specifically to help um, people really dive deep into the ideas. Um, and, and then there's this new video called Do You Have the Wrong Life for Exercise on my book page, too. Let me say this. For a, a person that's gone through a keynote uh, address a few minutes uh, prior to this interview, you have a heck of a lot of energy. I will say that, <laughs> Michelle. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Best of luck with the launch of the new book, and we uh, appreciate, uh, once again, you being here. I hope everyone's life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, and ready for exercise the right way. Thanks to No Sweat. See you next week, everybody. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.